Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Adam Holtz on navigating culture with a Christian worldview. Three great questions are, is this beneficial? Is it constructive? And is it mastering me? And if I find myself enslaved to something, whether that's something as obviously problematic as pornography, or it could be video game addiction, or it might be Facebook, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm enslaved to it and it's mastering me, then it's not beneficial. Adam Holtz, next. What is a worldview, and how does it impact our consumption of entertainment? Whether we realize it or not, we all have a worldview that's shaped by various factors. As Christians, we seek to view life through the lens of our faith. However, the perspectives of popular culture can often exert a negative influence on us if we're not attentive. Adam Holtz is director of Focus on the Family's Plugged In website, and he's with us now with thoughts on navigating culture wisely, especially how parents can equip their children in doing that. Adam, first, tell us a little bit about the Plugged In site. Plugged In is Focus on the Family's media discernment and review website, and our desire, our aim, our mission statement, if you will, is to really equip families with everything they need to navigate pop culture wisely. And at the most basic level, um, that means reviewing things like movies, TV, video games, books, YouTube channels, and new technology to tell you what you need to know. For example, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever comes out. A huge movie, what do you need to know? And there's some content there. So we'll give you that content, but we also want to help you think about the ideas and the worldview. So it's not just it has this many swear words or this many sex scenes, but what are the underlying ideas and how do those relate to Christianity? So we want to equip people to make good decisions. But I think even more than that, I hope that long term people who engage with us are are engaged in what I really think of as a discipleship process where we're thinking about how do we approach entertainment and technology from a Christian-infused perspective so that we're not only just avoiding things that are problematic, but but we're thinking biblically in the big picture about, you know, the vast sea of entertainment and technology-aided choices that we have to make every day. Well, this conversation is certainly going to help apply to what you just said uh, as you've explained yeah. the mission of Plugged In. Well, the the whole subject of a worldview, how to navigate culture with a Christian worldview, there's so much to even get to what a Christian worldview is, but even on the more basic level, what is a what is a worldview? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as the word implies, it has to do with how we see reality, how we see the world, how we view it. And all of us, whether you've thought about it or not, we all have a worldview. And for most of us, our worldview is sort of like a patchwork quilt of ideas, of experiences, of family influence, of cultural influence. It's all been woven together, and ultimately that that affects how we see the world. And if I can use a different metaphor, I don't want to mix my metaphors because that would be terrible. <laughs> it's like a pair of glasses, right? And for those of us who are vision impaired at some level, and I'm blind as a bat without my glasses, when I don't have them on, things are fuzzy. 
when I do have them on, things are clear. Mm -hmm. And so we want to give people a sense of here are the lenses that we can put on that help us to see the world clearly from a Christian perspective. Uh, and, and even within the, the broad Christian tradition, there are still different expressions of what that looks like. But, but certainly understanding and seeing the world from the core gospel perspective that, that we're fallen, that we can't save ourselves, that Jesus came to live and to die on our behalf. And that when we place our faith in him, it changes everything. It brings us into relationship with God, right relationship with God. And that begins to influence what, you know, the big theological word is sanctification, right? It influences the choices we make, uh, the way that we live, the values that we have. And, and I think that because we have smartphones now, with the sum total of human, you know, <laughs> expression within yeah. a click or two away, mm -hmm. we need help thinking about how does my faith affect and shape the way I am engaging with this tool and engaging with all of the content that comes streaming through it, and of course, TV and, and movies and and all of that as well. Well, well, obviously, there's a very intentional aspect to this, to that of worldview yes. and developing a worldview, and yet I'm wondering, absent that. Is it sort of, in general, for people run, does it sort of run at an unconscious level in how we perceive things and how we interpret things? If we're yeah. not, if we're not intentionally engaging it, we're, we're, yes. we're going somewhere. Absolutely. And I think you just used two of, of, I think the three words that, that I want to focus on. Um, and what plugged in focuses on is intentional engagement. We live in a world where many, many voices want us to, to accept their influence without critically evaluating them. Now, that's everything from politics to entertainment to consumerism. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a documentary out called The Social Dilemma. Did you happen to see that by chance? It was um, on Netflix. It's worth your time and your listeners' time because it evaluates the influence of social media. Hmm. And it's a bunch of people who got uncomfortable with what their companies were doing and left. So it's former Facebook executives, Pinterest, uh, YouTube, Google, all of that. And they talk about the process of social media and why it's problematic. And the one quote that stands out to me, and it's related to what we're talking about here. At one point, I think he was the former CEO of Pinterest said, our goal is to get you to give us as much of your life as you will surrender. Mm. And I thought, man, who speaks that plainly? <laughs> but, you know, with, with entertainment, with especially with social media, the goal is to get you to engage. And that engagement, you know, hopefully they want to monetize that outcome. Um, and, you know, one of the other things they said is, especially with, with entertainment and social media, if you're not buying the product, you are the product. And that's another moment in this thing that I think hmm. is really telling. Um, and I would connect that to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And this gets at this idea of intentional engagement. Paul says to the Ephesian church, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And that idea of evil, you know, we can think of serial killers or, you know, dictators. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying there's a world system that is set against what we believe. 
And if you're not paying attention, you're going to be influenced by it. And that is certainly the case with entertainment and technology. So social media, you wrote an article as well, and you even talk about things as basic as, well, of course, movies. We know that, shows, but even songs, even the lyrics in songs, um, even something maybe we're not listening to today, maybe we listened to years ago, but they might still be influencing how how we view the world. Well, yeah, and I think, actually, we could have an entire discussion about how music influences... But I'll say this, you know, think about your favorite movie. How many times have you seen your favorite movie? It's probably a lot, Mm -hmm. but, you know, even if it's, you know, let's say for the sake of argument, I've seen Star Wars 500 times. (laughs) I don't know how many times I've seen Star Wars. Maybe it's 300, maybe it's 800. It's probably in the hundreds. Okay. That's a big number, Mm -hmm. right? Because I love the movie. Mm -hmm. Now think of your favorite song and think about your teenage years and depending how old people are. Maybe you had a record player. Maybe you had cassettes you had to rewind. And then with the advent of CDs and then, of course, streaming music, you can just put something on repeat. Like I have a friend here who recently crossed, she said on her Spotify player, the 20,000 listen mark on Journeys Don't Stop Believing. Now, that's a pretty good song, but but we're talking <laughs> orders of magnitude difference. Yeah. Like your favorite song you have probably listened to thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Hmm. And so... Every three-minute burst that you're exposed to, if you're not thinking about those lyrics, those things are shaping your perception of reality. And so I think music, especially, and especially with young people, um, has the power to shape a lot. I remember when I was 16, and this is going to date me a little bit, and Whitesnake's song, Here I Go Again, came out. And it says, Here I Go Again on my own, going down the only path I've ever known. Like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. And I was kind of an outsider, as most teens probably feel they are. And it's ridiculous now. I wasn't a drifter. I wasn't walking alone. I wasn't destined for that. But you can internalize that message. And that's subtle compared to some of the messages regarding sexuality and drug use and all kinds of stuff. So music is hugely influential. Yeah, I think you've really helped us, Adam, to think about not only the influence of things like music and movies and those kind of things, but how the the repetition and how often messages come into our minds from even a particular song or a particular movie. And then uh, furthermore, there are questions that that are being asked and that are being answered, even within the context of a little three-minute song or a two-hour movie. Yeah, you know, a worldview is asking and answering questions all the time, whether we think about it or not. And they mostly have to do with questions of what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. So a worldview says this is admirable. Uh, this is what you should be striving for. This is should be your goal in life. And at the same time, a worldview will say, this is bad. We don't want this. Um, and we could talk about sexuality, but I'm going to give perhaps a little bit more or a less emotionally charged example. Okay. If you think if you think about movies from the 70s and 80s, think about how many characters smoked, right? They're smoking all over those movies, especially movies from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then as our understanding culturally of the risk of smoking began to grow, and it was proven, oh yeah, this actually really does give people cancer. Somewhere around the year 2000, there was a sea change in how smoking is depicted on television and movies. Now, I'm not saying you won't ever see anybody smoking, 
but a, you won't see it as much. And even when it does show up, sometimes there'll be a self-referential. Oh, I know I shouldn't be doing this. You know, this is a bad mm -hmm. habit. Yeah. Whereas in the seventies and eighties, smoking was just a thing. It wasn't something anybody felt like we had to make a moral statement about. I think that's a great example of a worldview question in the 70s and 80s, smoking was normal, and now smoking is widely perceived as, you don't want to do this. This is bad. Um, and so that's a great behavioral example uh, that we can look at. And, and we could just go down the list in terms of thinking about all of the cultural issues of our day. And we're now in a cultural moment where there are so many progressive ideas with regard to climate change, transgenderism, LGBTQ, uh, that it's almost a package deal in a lot of the entertainment mm -hmm. that um, is being tossed our way. And it's being tossed our kids' way. As adults, hopefully we have the ability to sort out, okay, I don't necessarily agree with that. Let's think about that. But if you're a kid growing up with it today, um, you don't have those skills naturally formed. And so our job as parents, I, I think at, when our kids are young, is to just say, we're going to avoid a lot of this. But avoidance can't be our only strategy, right? So as, the, as they get older, we have to begin asking them questions that, and teaching them questions to ask that help them to identify where a worldview really deviates from what we believe as Christians. And I want to get to some of those questions in just a moment. Well, my guest is Mr. Adam Holtz. He's director for Focus on the Families Plugged In. We're talking about how to navigate cultures, particularly with a Christian worldview, and we're going to talk about how that is formed as well. But my understanding, Adam, and perhaps you can um, help us with this, that the word worldview is kind of synonymous with the word we commonly hear today of narrative. People have different narratives yep. for this, that, and the other, and perhaps that yeah. explains why Sometimes we have so much difficulty uh, communicating with other people that have different worldviews yeah. or narratives. No, I think that's right. And I think I think it's a, a helpful starting point to understand that everybody's got a different perspective. And where our, where our mainstream culture goes is your story is your story, and it's the primary determinant of reality, you know? you'll hear people say, well, that's true for you, but not for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very subjective. And so our culture is one that says the individual is sovereign and the individual gets to choose, you know, remember the books back in the eighties, you can choose your own adventure. Um, and we're, our culture in America is deeply invested in the idea that you're a sovereign agent over your life. Well, how does that compare to Christianity? Christianity says, we are saved by Christ. He invites us into relationship, but he invites us into a relationship in which we are not the sovereign authority of our lives anymore. And in fact, we never were. That's not a true worldview. Um, and so we can begin to ask questions, even with somebody who has a different perspective. I think a great question to ask is, well, what is the authority in your life? And if they say, I'm the authority, which a lot of people won't say because it we sort of instinctively know it's narcissistic. Mm, yeah. And, you know, if you're the king or queen of your own life, I think it's fair to ask the question, how's it going? You know, is that working for you? Uh, because our culture is also very pragmatic, right? Um, and so when we boil it down to results, um, it can help get people's attention. And I know in college, I went through a very wild phase and I'm not glorifying that, but I had a moment where I realized this is not working. Mm -hmm. And this is not the person I want to be. And I'm not treating people the way I think I probably should. And that really was sort of a running up to 
really surrendering my life to Christ and saying, okay, I want you to be the authority who helps me. So that question of authority is a, is a huge one when we're talking about worldview and when we're helping our kids to think about that too, because as we're watching a movie, one of the questions we can help them to ask is, what is the source of moral authority in this story? Is it God? Is it the government? Is it emotions? Is it somebody's personal autonomy? That's a really revealing question. How does belief in Jesus begin to shape and change our worldview? Well, I think that we see a fundamental shift at the very basic sense that it's not about us, right? Mm -hmm. That we live in a culture that says the most important thing is your individual freedom and freedom of expression and self-actualization. And Jesus comes into our lives and he says in Mark you know, 10, 45, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so immediately the model that we're responding to in Christianity is because of what he has done for us, we're thinking about how do I live in a way that loves and serves other people and helps them to know who Christ is. So I think at the most basic level, a, a, well, one of the things at a basic level the Christian worldview gives us is hopefully an other-centered perspective that leads to maturity where I'm not making myself the center all the time in the way that I'm thinking about things. And our, our culture makes the individual the center of the universe, whereas we're really seeking to say, as the old tracks used to say, Jesus is on the throne and I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a Campus Crusade track and in college where it had that illustration, right? who's on the throne of your life. And it, uh, it's a, that's a really good illustration. And so our, uh, our hearts, our souls, our minds are changed through faith in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, through the Scriptures. So as you said early on, Adam, that's the process of sanctification, and yep. uh, we participate in that as well. It's not yeah. something that happens passively. Yes, that's exactly right. And we participate in that in a couple of ways. Um, we are hopefully participating in a local congregation. So we're finding other people who are like-minded in belief. Uh, we participate in that when we are engaged with God's Word, and that can be reading, that can be studying, that can be teaching. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, to be transformed by the word, you know, don't let the culture, the, the J.B. Phillips says, don't let culture squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, and then I think as we pray, we're inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives too. So there's, there's the vertical relationship with God, there's the horizontal relationship with other believers, and there's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So the Lord, uh, through all of those means, uh, begins to change and an ongoing change of our hearts, our minds, our, our thoughts, our views of everything, our understanding. And you point this out in, a, in an article that you wrote, but kids and adults, too, spend about nine hours a day in front of screens. I guess for most people these days, it's the phone, but it could be yep. the computer screen or the television screen. I mean at yeah. least nine hours a day. That's hard to believe. Right. How does yeah. all that media shape our hearts, our souls, and our passions? And and obviously, a lot of it doesn't share the Christian worldview, so right. there's a clash there. Right. Well, I think to the extent that it is embodying a non-Christian worldview, we have to understand that it is 
it is influencing us, whether we want to admit it or not. And going back to that passage from Ephesians that I talked about, you know, Paul says there that we're the trajectory apart from God is toward evil, toward the way of the world. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can have what I would call neutral zone thinking. And neutral zone thinking is, well, it's not necessarily great, but it's not terrible that I can just hang out in this sort of neutral space in between. And I think scripture really challenges us and says, no, we're moving one way or the other. And so our our goal as Christians is to be aware of that. And we become aware of that as we're in the word and as we're convicted by God's spirit. And in terms of helping our kids, I want to make sure that we get to this, mm-hmm. especially with entertainment. We help them grow in understanding this stuff, again, by teaching them to ask questions. And so some of the most basic questions that we can ask when they're younger is, how does this compare to what we believe as Christians? Now, that compare and contrast question is really simple, but even a young child can get his or her head around it. I remember my son was probably eight or nine, and he was developing an influence or an interest in Pokemon mm-hmm. and watched a couple Pokemon shows. And we decided that this was navigable. And one day he said, you know, I love how Ash sacrifices for his friends because that is how Jesus relates to us. You know, he sacrificed for us. And I loved that he was connecting the dots between the themes that he was seeing in Pokemon and his faith. Now, Pokemon is not a Christian thing mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but that basic getting them on that grid. How does this compare to what I believe? And then a couple more basic questions is, what is the main message here and what is valued? So again, we're moving out of that passive, you know, sort of, I'm just vegging out and letting it wash over me to, okay, what are the messages here? What do I think about those? And then as our kids get older, we can begin to ask more sophisticated questions. We can ask, um, who did you identify with? What character was appealing to you and why? Um, A huge one we can talk about is consequences. Entertainment does a lousy job most of the time of depicting consequences. And you can ask a question like, if you did this in the real world, what would happen? Um, Mm -hmm. And especially with comedy, maybe less so with serious drama, that's an eye-opening question. It's like, um, and so what we're doing is we're training our kids to think actively and critically about those messages. And it doesn't mean that they're not gonna be influenced, but it gives them a fighting chance in a world where the messages are coming at us so constantly now through these screens that we all have. And as I understand, one other question, which which is, and you touched on a number of them, which are good to think about, and it's the kind of thing I think we might typically not think about, because so often entertainment, whatever it is, kind of washes over us, and we, we, we're entertained. That's what the point of it, but how right. is it seeking to influence us emotionally or intellectually yep. or rationally? In other words, what are the arguments for our head, to our head and to our hearts? Right, and here's a great example of that and how... A lot of times, movies especially are making an emotional appeal, mm-hmm. and we can be influenced by the emotional appeal at the rational level. Um, the movie Million Dollar Baby. Have you seen Million Dollar Baby? Sure, with Clint Eastwood. Uh, Clint Eastwood and Hillary Swank. Um, Hillary Swank is a prize fighter. Clint Eastwood is her coach. She ends up getting injured and is a quadriplegic. And the thrust of the movie is inviting us to see his ultimate decision to pull the plug on her because she wants him to 
as a good thing. Mm-hmm. This is a pro-euthanasia movie. And she doesn't have the will to live. She can't see how her life could have dignity or meaning because of the limitation that has now been placed upon it. So without, you know, obviously it would be an incredibly hard thing, but the movie's message is now the really compassionate thing to do would be to take her life, which Clint Eastwood's character wrestles with. And ultimately he pulls the plug on her uh, metaphorically Mm -hmm. speaking or literally actually. Yeah. And so deeply emotional movie the kind of movie that could influence your thinking on a complex moral issue. But if we take a step back and say, well, what does scripture say about the dignity and the value of life? It says even a life that may have some difficulty and impairment still has value, right? Yeah. So the worldview in this movie, even though it influences us emotionally, is really counter to what scripture teaches. And uh, as we come uh, close to the close of the conversation, you're, and it's kind of obvious from what you're saying, you're not advocating avoiding pop culture, popular culture entirely. There may be, obviously, there are aspects that do need to be avoided, clearly. But for those that can be engaged, you're you're, you're trying to help parents train kids, and maybe even parents to that to an extent, too, as as we talked about at the beginning, to actually to navigate culture thinking um, like a Christian. Yeah, and, and I would say there is um, there's a continuum that has avoidance on one end, caution in the middle, and dialogue on the other end. Mm. And so when our kids are little, much of the time our stance is going to be avoidance. Uh, you know, all of my son's friends were seeing Marvel movies way before they turned 13. And he said, and we said, you know what? We're not going there. Now, Honestly, I don't think we made it to 13. I think we made it to 11 or 12 with him. So Mm -hmm. the goal isn't perfection and it's not legalism, but it's recognizing that our kids aren't ready for some of that stuff. And we're doing the work of filtering it out. But as they get into their teen years, we want to watch things with them and listen to things with them and to be in conversation with them. And then we begin to make, give them some of their own, um, you know, authority, if you will, to make choices for themselves. And, my son is 16 now. I'm not crazy about everything he listens to, but I'm also giving him some agency and we're talking about that. Mm-hmm. So those communication lines are open. And so by the time he leaves, I hope that even if he doesn't always make choices that I'm 100% in agreement with, he's no, he knows how to think critically about them. So we're moving from avoidance to dialogue in a way that equips our kids to not just go out when they leave the house when they're 18 or go to college and they're bombarded with all this stuff and they have no idea what to deal with, what to do with it. I think it was in an article that I uh, read, but you're advocating thinking about these things as the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill in Athens in Acts chapter 17 related to that culture. Absolutely. Paul was engaged culturally and another great example in 1 Corinthians 6 and again in 1 Corinthians 10, I don't have the exact verses memorized, he takes a Corinthian proverb and he says, you say everything is permissible. And then he comes back and says, not everything is beneficial. And then he uses two other phrases in those two passages. He says, not everything is constructive. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so three great questions are, is this beneficial? Is it constructive? And is it mastering me? 
And if I find myself enslaved to something, whether that's something as obviously problematic as pornography, or it could be video game addiction, or it might be Facebook, mm. right? If I'm enslaved to it and it's mastering me, then it's not beneficial. And, and as a Christian, I need to take a step back and say, what is my relationship with this? And this goes for parents as well as kids, right? And and I think we need to say, as much as we might think it's the kids that have the problems with screens today, the research shows that parents are on their screens just as much. And so I think if we hope to help our kids navigate this, for a lot of us, it's going to mean changing our own habits with social media, with news, with you know all of the things that we might be engaged with that aren't necessarily problematic in and of themselves, but what we're communicating to our kids is this little screen is the most important thing in my life. And so as families, we have to set those boundaries and those limits so that we can help our kids do the same thing. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Adam Holtz, director of Focus on the Family's Plugged In website. Go to PluggedIn.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Chris Cagle on being good stewards of our retirement. Just that, you know, that type of retiree who says, I want to find uh, constructive ways to spend my time, use my time, talents, treasure uh, for the good of others and to stay connected and engaged in different ways in the society. For the Christian, as I mentioned, oftentimes that uh, means uh, serving in the context of our local church, other nonprofit ministries, volunteering in the community. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.